Hello and welcome to the Revival Radio Show and Podcast. Revival is a place where you can come to encounter and ponder truth. In this show, we are going to be exploring the rich abundance of truth that the Catholic Church has to offer in all her wisdom. My name is Tara Lauderdale, and every show I will be reading an excerpt from spiritual books, church councils, writings from the saints, and more, and then offering a brief commentary on what I've read. This is so we can have the opportunity to hear and contemplate truth, and then allow this truth to penetrate into our daily lives so that we can become imitators of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to Revival. I am your host, Tara Lauderdale, and today we are continuing into part two of a discussion on St. Therese of Lisieux. St. Therese is my heavenly bestie. I mentioned that in my last episode about her, and so I can't help but talk about her. But I'm not only sharing her because she is my bestie, I'm also sharing her because she is an incredible saint. She is one of the four female doctors of the church, and I think that her doctrine of the little way is extremely, hmm, it's just wonderful. And I think that many Christians in general and Catholics can also learn a lot from her doctrine of the little way. And so today we're going to actually talk about that. Last week, last episode, we covered We just kind of talked about the basis of her doctrine. We talked about how the characteristics of her doctrine include simplicity, abandonment, humility, poverty, confidence, love, all that good stuff. And we talked about where her little way came from, that primarily it has the spirit of the gospel. It's saturated in the spirit of the gospel, but then even more specifically, Therese had these great desires for sainthood, but then realized that she was so poor and weak that she was not going to be able to attain the heights of sanctity on her own and by herself. But she also realized that God would not give her great and holy desires without a way of attaining them. And so she looked for this little way. She was like, I... In the way that houses have elevators or lifts, instead of going up the stairs, she said, I want to find a new and straight and simple way to holiness. And so she went and she discovered these two verses from Proverbs and from Isaiah, which helped her understand that she's called to be a little child and she's called to become little, to go towards God as a little one, and trust that he will lift her into his arms and he will do all of the work. So it's super beautiful, and today we're going to actually get a little bit more into her doctrine. We're Again, we're going to skim the surface. Her doctrine, again, she's, how many times can I say it? She's a doctor of the church. There are only four female doctors, and she's one of them. So 
though her doctrine is super simple, it has great depth to it. And many books have been written about her. Many people have, yeah, evaluated her doctrine. And so we're just going to talk about maybe one or two aspects of it. But again, we're not talking about the whole thing. So we're pulling again from the book that I used last week, last, last episode, which is Complete Spiritual Doctrine of St. Therese of Lisieux by Father Francois Jamart. And this is a great book, one of my favorites to describe her doctrine. I've read a lot of, a lot of biographies and writings and evaluations and people's different views of her doctrine, analysis, you know, all that good stuff. And this book in particular, I thought really encapsulated uh, her full doctrine and how to understand it and what it really embodies. So today we are going to pray and then we're going to jump into the very first aspect of her doctrine that's laid out in this book. And we'll just see how far we get, but I think it's going to be super great. And I'm hoping to, I'm hoping that I chose a section that will be beneficial to you all and will be really helpful. So let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of today. We thank you, Lord, for St. Therese and for her little way. We thank you for her beautiful desires for holiness and all the ways that she shares and shared her her intimacy with you with us, especially through her story of a soul. And we just ask, Lord, that we would be able to imitate Therese, that we would be able to learn littleness and humility, confidence, surrender, abandonment, so that we might become the men and the women, the saints that you've called us to be. We entrust this time to you and ask for you to send forth your Holy Spirit to be upon us. Help us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Help us to love you more, Lord, to love you as you have loved us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump in today. This is chapter 2 of this book on the doctrine of St. Therese. And this chapter is on humility and littleness. And we're just going to, we're going to see what happens. I haven't read this book in a really long time, so it's going to be really fun to review it with you all. And of course, I just think that Therese's doctrine and teaching is so good. I can't handle it. It's so good. And I'm excited to share it with you. So this first section under this chapter is titled, The Littleness of a Child. This is what Father Francois Jamart says as he begins writing about St. Therese's doctrine. He writes, The first characteristic of a child, and that which first strikes us, is its littleness. In the supernatural order, we must likewise, first of all, recognize our littleness. This is the disposition that characterizes our true condition and puts us in our right place before God. To be little spiritually means to be humble. Littleness, however, implies a certain simplicity, an effective note of sweet self-effacement. To a sister who asked Therese what she meant by remaining a little child before God, she answered, It means that we acknowledge our nothingness, await everything from the good Lord, 
refuse to attribute to ourselves the virtues we practice, but believe that we are incapable of doing anything that is good. This, in fact, is what humility is. To acknowledge that we possess nothing ourselves, but expect everything from him. To refer to him the little good we discover in ourselves or happen to do. To see ourselves, in other words, as we are. Weak, powerless, poor, and wretched. It is primarily because humility puts us in our right place, in our true condition, that Therese makes humility the basis of her way. It seems to me that humility is truth. I don't know whether I am humble, but I know I see the truth in all things. To that first reason she added another, and one that is truly Theresean. It is the fact, namely, that it is proper to divine love to lower itself. Hence, the lower we are, the more we attract God. On the contrary, when we lift ourselves up, we go counter to that movement of love. Finally, Therese practiced humility out of love, to prove her love, to ravish thee, quite little I shall remain, myself forgetting, I'll charm thy loving heart. However, according to her, humility must not consist in the mere acceptance of our state of dependence and incapacity. We must love to see ourselves as we truly are. We must bear the imperfections that are inherent in our nature. Be happy to see ever more clearly how wretched is our condition. We must even will to become ever more little. To discover those deficiencies in ourselves does not mean that we have created them. They were in us, but we had failed to notice them. Our discovery of them has only given us a better understanding of our true condition. Now, the better we know ourselves, accepting to see ourselves as we truly are, and the more truthful we are with ourselves, the more pleasing shall we be to God and we shall also be more ready for the workings in us of God's merciful love. Okay, so I think with this section, it can be a little easier said than done. I think that when we read about humility, we think, of course, yes, that makes so much sense. But then when it comes to actually being humbled, to actually really truly encountering our incapacity and powerlessness, it's significantly more difficult because it means that we have to let our false identities, all the things that we believe about ourselves, the, the good that we do, the things we possess, we have to actually let those things or qualities be stripped away. And so... In this first section about littleness and humility, I think there are a few key points. So, littleness is attributed to humility, but it also implies this simplicity. And I like how Therese describes what it means to be a little child before God. So, if we are little children before God, it means that we can acknowledge our nothingness. So, we can acknowledge that... And of ourselves, we are nothing apart from God, especially 
we are nothing and can do nothing. And this even of itself is extremely important to encounter, but can also be really difficult. And again, I think, I think for us to really encounter our nothingness, we do have to enter into silence and solitude and stop, again, hiding behind distractions and busyness. Because a lot of times when we're busy and our lives are noisy, we have a lot of activity, we have a lot going on, it's a lot harder to, to acknowledge our nothingness because we can be so full of all these other things, which are not bad in and of themselves, but we can make them our identities. What Therese is saying is that it's urgent that we acknowledge our need for God and we stop hiding again behind all of those things that we can use to define ourselves, all of our possessions, relationships, whatever it is, but really humbly sit before God and recognize our utter and total dependence upon him. And that brings her to the second point that she pointed out about what it means to remain a little child. And she says that it not only means acknowledging our nothingness, but it also means that we're awaiting everything from God. So we're trusting that God is actually going to provide in every possible way for us, that he has these good things for us. And so as little children, we're waiting with outstretched arms and open hands, trusting that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us instead of grasping, taking, believing that we are in control and that we have to give all things to ourselves. She also says that being a little child before God means that when we do beautifully practice virtue, we should not attribute it to ourselves. So in other words, we should not give the glory to ourselves for any good that we do, but we should recognize that any good that we do or say is only because of the grace we've been given by God, which is extremely humbling because it's really tempting when we do good things and somebody affirms us or compliments us or sees us and they say, wow, way to go. That's so awesome. Right? That was so beautiful. And it can be so tempting to take that affirmation for ourselves and not give it to our Lord. But she says a key part of being little children is that we hand to our father all of those good things that we receive and we just give him all the credit because that's where the credit is due. It's It belongs to him. And then yeah, and then along with that is acknowledging that we are ca- incapable of doing anything that is good on our own. And that's exactly what Jesus says in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Therese is just inviting us to live more deeply into that reality that we cannot do anything good apart from God. So this is really continuing to set the tone for Therese's spiritual doctrine Just the way of the little child is the way of humility. And she says that it's not, again, only about accepting that we are totally in need and we're totally dependent upon God. It also means that we have to love to see ourselves as we truly are. So it can be uh, really tempting when we do discover our poverty to really dislike ourselves or be tempted to despair or self-loathing. But Therese says that 
We should love to see our imperfections. We should love to recognize our poverty and our wretchedness uh, because, again, it means that we are reminded of our utter need for God and we're reminded that it's good to be little. So acknowledging and seeing our nothingness and our poverty actually just truly makes us littler. And the littler we are, the more humble we are, and the more we are disposed to receive what God desires to give us, and we are more disposed to the work that God wants to do within us. So we're going to keep going, discussing this section on humility. And the next section that falls under this chapter is titled, Being Hidden and Forgotten. And I think this is going to be a really, really tough section to read. So... This is what the author says about littleness and about what Therese says about being hidden and forgotten and how that is an aspect of being a child. The author writes, Therese took delight in being hidden, unknown, and counted as nothing. She took pleasure in being despised. I want to hide in this world. I want to be the last in all things. For you, my Jesus. She desired to be but a small grain of sand, most obscure, well hidden from all eyes, a grain of sand which is always in its right place, that is, under the feet of everybody, reduced to nothing, to which no one gives a thought, and whose existence is, as it were, unknown, a grain of sand which desires nothing but to be forgotten, and does not even wish to be despised or insulted. This would be too glorious for a grain of sand, for it has to be seen in order to be despised. No, it desires only to be forgotten. Nevertheless, it desires to be seen by Jesus. For if Jesus were to neglect it, it would not receive anything any more, and it is so very much in need of him. On the other hand, it is not to be feared that being looked on by Jesus will cause it to be lifted up in its own eyes. Nevertheless, one glance of Jesus, just one, suffices. That is enough for a little grain of sand. Having made this one exception, Therese continues vigorously. Yes, I desire to be forgotten, and not only by creatures, but by myself. I would like to be so reduced to nothing that I would no longer have any desires, The glory of my Jesus, that is all. For my honor, I abandon it to him. And if he seems to forget me, well, he is free to do so. For I no longer belong to myself, but to him. And she adds with a holy mischievous, He will tire more quickly of making me wait than I shall tire of waiting for him. We cannot but admire so much understanding, such a love of humility, and this at such an early age for she was then only fifteen. Rarely have more profound thoughts been expressed on this virtue. Did Therese herself discover this idea that to be forgotten is something higher than to be despised and receive insults, or did she learn it from others? It does not matter. In any case, she marked it with her own stamp. In the passage we have quoted, certain expressions may, at first sight, seem excessive, But if we try to understand them in the sense in which Therese herself understood them, we shall find them quite normal. 
When, for example, she says that she would desire to be so totally reduced to nothing that she no longer has any desire, it is clear that she does not exclude all desires, for such a thing would be inhuman. She wants especially to exclude desires which would cause her to attract the notice of others, to put herself forward in any way, to seek any special attention that would flatter human pride. The last sentence of Therese merits special attention. It emphasizes the note of confidence and abandonment, which is characteristic of Theresean spirituality. She knows that for those who forget themselves and seek him alone, the love of Jesus is so great that, although he may sometimes seem to have forgotten them, he cannot do so for very long. He will return to them before they tire of waiting for him. Hence, far from grieving at the knowledge of her own persistent imperfection, Therese took a genuine delight in it. She even expected to find new imperfections in herself every day. She declared that those lights that revealed to her her littleness and nothingness did her more good than the lights of faith. Hence, she considered that the greatest thing the Almighty had done in her was to reveal to her her nothingness and her incapacity for doing any good. Such reflections might seem strange. For it is faith that puts us in contact with God and is the principle of the supernatural life as well as the source of love. And yet we have to recognize that Therese is right. For what would be the advantage of having the lights of faith if through lack of humility we did not place ourselves before God with the dispositions that are necessary before he can communicate himself to our soul? God gives grace to the humble and to them alone. Therese accepted her imperfections and wretchedness with a good heart. When she felt stirrings of her nature or yielded involuntarily to imperfections, far from being astonished, she took delight in it and drew benefit from it. I know the means for being always happy and drawing profit from my miseries. Jesus seems to encourage me on this road. He teaches me to profit from everything, both from the good and the evil that I find in myself. Okay, I think that is such a wonderful section, and there is so much here. There's so much here that can also be misinterpreted, which is why I'm glad that the author said, hey, just letting you know, you might be reading this and thinking that Therese sounded a little bit excessive. But she's not excessive if we actually understand where she's coming from, which is why in the next segment... I'm going to offer a little bit more commentary on this section because I just kind of read it and we're out of time. <laughs> so when we come back, I'm going to say more about this section on being hidden and forgotten. And again, I want to pinpoint certain things that we might misinterpret, but under Theresean spirituality, it makes perfect sense. And hopefully we can kind of be able to take these principles that Therese talks about and then apply them to our own spiritual lives. It's such a rich gift. Even as I'm reading this, I'm just receiving encouragement from Therese because her spirituality is so unique, but it is so freeing and it truly is so humbling. We want to be little children like Therese was. So when we return, we're going to talk more about being hidden and forgotten and 
See if we can go a little bit deeper in what Therese was talking about and what she meant, especially about being this grain of sand that is trampled underfoot. All right, you have been listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale. And today we are continuing our part two discussion on St. Therese of Lisieux, my heavenly bestie, one of the four female doctors of the church. She's an absolute stud. What more can I say about her? Haha. <laughs> anyway, Therese rocks because she teaches us how to be saints and what that means. So today we're learning from her. We're learning about her little way of spiritual childhood. We are taking a deep dive into her doctrine today using this book, Complete Spiritual Doctrine of St. Therese of Lisieux, and this first chapter is on what littleness actually means, and it means to be humble. So when we left off, we were reading this pretty long but beautiful section on being hidden and forgotten, and the author had written that Therese loved being hidden, she loved being unknown, she loved being counted as nothing, and that is something I think that is pretty unfathomable to all of us because one of our deepest desires as human beings is to be seen and known and loved and Therese I think loved being unknown and loved being forgotten by people because she knew who looked upon her she knew who loved her and who chose her I think that she was so radically living within the gaze of Jesus within the gaze especially of God the Father that she didn't mind being unknown and forgotten. And a big reason why it's pretty unfathomable to us to even desire to be unknown or forgotten or hidden is because we do not live within the gaze of the Father. We frequently want to be seen by other people. We want to be known by other people. And I think that is, I think that's really what social media is. It's the place where we want to be seen and known and loved and it's the place where we receive that, but in, but in a false way. We don't receive it in a way that's actually fulfilling or life-giving or true. We receive like a counterfeit version of that. And so this concept of being so humble that we actually delight in being forgotten or not being chosen or hidden is such a difficult concept for us to understand because Therese lived this so radically Again, because I think she lived really, truly within the gaze of God. And so I think for us to really even, for us to really grasp this aspect of being little and being humble, I think we have to acknowledge that, well, we have to acknowledge that we really love to be seen and we love to be chosen and we love to be praised and affirmed by people. I think that we can fall into this ab- this habit of acting like we don't care, but we do. Let's be honest, we all care about what other people think about us. And most of the time, we care about what other people think about us way more than caring about what God thinks about us. And that's why we fail to be humble. Because when we actually place ourselves in the presence of God and let him gaze at us, we realize that we are nothing and dependent and so in need of him. But when we let ourselves just live only in the gaze of other people, 
we can constantly be working towards and trying to have, you know, a good reputation. We want people to think well of us and highly of us. And then we're actually really kind of living more in a false reality. So this is what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of going a little in circles, but I'm just trying to say that Therese lived totally in reality. She lived so in the truth of who she was and of who God was. And to delight in being hidden and forgotten, though it sounds kind of icky to us because nobody likes to be forgotten or uninvited or not chosen or not picked first or whatever it is, that's such a foreign concept to us. But Therese was so free. There is something so freeing in being indifferent towards not caring whether or not you're chosen or not caring about whether or not people see you or think well or highly of you. Like we can hear that Therese took delight in being forgotten and and be scandalized by that and think, whoa, that's, look, that's a little intense, okay? That's a little too much for me. I don't want to follow a saint who liked being forgotten. She sounds kind of like a weirdo. Like she wanted to be, she describes herself as a grain of sand trampled underfoot. Like that's what she wanted. She wanted to be that forgotten. Yeah, it does sound excessive to us. And especially in our culture where, Everybody wants to be seen and we, you know, anytime we achieve something or something happens to us, we want to put it out there for everyone to know. We put it on social media, you know, all these things. And again, there is something beautiful about sharing our lives with other people and sharing milestones. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we can make our identity be what others think of us and how they look at us and how often we're chosen, how often we're invited, whatever. What I'm saying is if we want to adopt this little way of spirituality of Therese, first we have to place ourselves in the presence of God and we have to let ourselves be looked at by him and seen by him and see that in that gaze, it's just love and mercy and goodness. That's how he gazes upon us. He so desires for us to fall in love with his gaze and Therese fell so in love with the Lord's gaze that she didn't care who else looked at her. She didn't care if nobody looked at her because she knew who was. She knew whose gaze mattered. I guess that's all I'm trying to say because I think I'm trying to explain the most simple concept, but in a kind of a complicated way. And I I hope that you all can understand the point that I'm trying to drive at. It's, It's this. It's just living and dwelling in the gaze of the one who loves us. And because we fall so in love with that gaze, we become so familiar with that gaze. It doesn't matter what other people think about us, how other people look at us or talk about us. It only matters that we know that we're loved and chosen by our Father. So that's what Therese says about being hidden and forgotten. And she understood this. The author says she wrote this when she was 15. Already she was so detached from what the world thought of her. She was able to surrender it. And just take on this desire to to love God and love him alone and relinquish everything else. And I think there's something interesting, too, that she also said she wanted to relinquish all desire. She wanted to be so forgotten and hidden that she had no desires. But the author specifies and makes it clear that he's not saying that she had no desires for anything whatsoever. Because if you actually read... Therese's writing it's clear that she was so desirous she had the biggest heart of love and love is driven 
by desire, I think, namely. Not totally. Love is, is a choice and, and love acts in the will. But Therese was desirous of being holy, of making God known and loved. So anyway, the author is just saying, yes, yeah, she wanted to be so forgotten that she even relinquished all desires. But the author is saying she was talking about desires that would draw attention to herself. So for example, Therese probably wouldn't have desired becoming the, you know, head mother in her religious order because that would probably draw attention to herself that she did not desire. So it's something like that. It's those desires that we have in our hearts to achieve or to succeed or whatever it is so that we can be seen by other people. So those are the desires that Therese relinquished, those kinds that would draw attention to herself and would be temptations for her to become prideful. So again, this littleness, this humility that's required in this little way is a littleness that accepts and desires being forgotten and hidden, which is completely and totally of Jesus because our Lord hid himself for 30 years in Nazareth with Mother Mary and with St. Joseph. And so Therese, I think, is really adopting that interior that was totally of the Lord when before he went out in his public ministry. So Therese is not being excessive at all. She's just imitating Jesus and how he lived. So that's all I'll say about that. I've said enough about being forgotten and hidden. No, I haven't. We could totally keep going, but there are two more sections I want to cover from this chapter on humility and littleness. So the next section is on learning from our faults. And the author writes about this section. He says, in fact, as long as we have good will, our faults can serve to instruct us and help us to make progress, for they make us distrust ourselves and look for means to correct our imperfections. If, after committing a fault, we accept the humiliation that follows from it, this merits for us an increase of love. This is the way saints react. They are no more exempt from weakness than we are. Far from grieving on their account, they accept themselves as they are and make use of their imperfections to raise themselves nearer to God. Those falls must appear the more natural to us because, in the way of perfection, we remain children. It is inevitable, therefore, that we should make false steps. The little one who learns to walk unavoidably falls from time to time. I have many weaknesses, said Therese, but I am never astonished because of them. I am not always as prompt as I should like to be in rising above the insignificant things of this world. For example, I might be inclined to worry about some silly things I have said or done. I then recollect myself for a moment and say, Alas, I am still at the point from which I started, but I say this with great peace and without sadness. It is truly sweet to feel weak and little. How much these reflections of St. Therese differ from what are possibly our own habitual sentiments and ways of acting. Again, Therese wrote, We would like never to fall. What an illusion! What does it matter, my Jesus, if I fall at every moment? I come to recognize by it how weak I am, and that is gain for me. You see by that how little I am able to do, and you will be more likely to carry me in your arms. If you do not do so, it is because you like to see me prostrate on the ground. Well then, I am not going to worry, but I will always stretch out my suppliant arms towards you with great love. 
I cannot believe that you would abandon me. Okay, this section goes on, but I want to say something about it. I want to pause here. So learning from our faults, Therese says great things about this. So our faults can actually do well to serve us. And I think it's important that the author points out as long as we have goodwill. So we have to be seeking God and have goodwill when it comes to this. But our faults can actually really help us to progress as human beings in growth and maturity, but also in the spiritual life. Because when we mess up and we fall, it helps us realize that we have imperfections. And when we accept our falls with humility, this can actually help us to have an increase in love. So the saints all fell. It's not, we think of the saints sometimes as these sinless people, but they weren't sinners. They, or, <laughs> so sorry, they were sinners. They did sin. They messed up quite frequently. But the saints learned how to accept their flaws and their weaknesses and not be discouraged by them. They accepted them as they were and they made use of their imperfections and actually allowed those imperfections to draw them even closer to God. We sometimes think that our weakness and poverty keeps us from God. But what Therese is teaching us is that actually our imperfections and falls can elevate us towards God, can actually draw God to us and can be ways that we are drawn to God. And also, we should not be surprised by them. So Therese said that she was never astonished by her weaknesses. She was, she was, I love this. She said that she would sometimes be tempted to worry about things she said or did, small things. And then she would say to herself, but this is really important, and this is italicized in the book. She said to herself after she fell, Alas, I am still at the point from which I started. Alas, I am still at the point from which I started. So when we fall, when we're weak, when we realize we've been prideful or lustful or gluttonous or greedy or angry or envious, whatever it is, and we fall and we realize, okay, I messed up again. I'm still a poor sinner. We should not let ourselves be discouraged by this fact. And we should not lose our peace. And we should not be overly saddened or surprised by our weaknesses. Because it's actually a sign of humility when we can say, oh, yes, okay, I do still struggle with that sin. And we're not being indifferent or complacent or lukewarm about it. That's not what Therese is saying. Therese strived for perfection. She strived to be holy. But she was not astonished by her weaknesses. And I think the difference is that we can be astonished by our weakness and then tell God, look, I've got this. I can handle this. I'm going to fix this habitual sin by myself. That is not what Therese is saying because that is pride. That is pride saying, God, I don't need you and I can handle this. What Therese is saying, when we fall, we're not becoming astonished or discouraged by our weaknesses. We're not surprised by them, but we are readily turning to the mercy of God and asking for his help and asking for his grace to get back up again. That's the big difference. Humility recognizes our faults, but then it says, God, I need you. Please help me and please give me the grace Supply me the grace to keep going and keep trying because I cannot do this myself and I need you to help me become holy. So that's what Therese is describing for us. She knew that it was that she was weak and that she was little and she wasn't discouraged by who she was. But again, she wasn't complacent about it either. She had great desires for holiness and sanctity and she just turned those desires upon God and asked for him to make them reality. And she trusted that she said, I love this. What does it matter, my Jesus, if I fall at every moment? What does it matter, my Jesus, if I fall at every moment? She knew that it was okay because every time she fell, she realized even more 
how weak she was. And the more she realized how weak she was, the more she became little, the littler she became, the easier it was to throw herself into the arms of God and let him do the heavy lifting. Okay, so there's one more section that we're going to read about under this chapter on humility and littleness, and it is on reliance on grace. So this is what the author says in his section, Reliance on Grace. While our saint does not deny that our responsibility is lessened by such causes, she does affirm that God always grants the graces that are necessary to overcome all obstacles when we have recourse to him. Furthermore, she warns us that if we take refuge behind physical infirmities to excuse ourselves for our imperfections and our falls, we run the risk of overlooking our personal responsibility for them. She wants us, rather, to recognize that responsibility and to confess that when we have fallen, it is because we did not have a recourse to prayer as we should have or because we have been wanting in generosity. We are then close to the truth and that is wholly to our advantage. Therefore, when we fall as children, that is, through weakness and not through lack of goodwill, our imperfections and faults do not offend Jesus, however numerous they may be, even if they are repeated until the end of our life. Neither do they prevent us from loving our divine Lord greatly. Hence, they should not disturb nor sadden us. We should, on the contrary, accept them calmly. Or, as St. Therese often repeated, we should accept them with mildness and great peace. When we accept with mildness the humiliation of having manifested our imperfection, the grace of God returns immediately. Our faults make us realize how weak we are, the extreme need we have of God, and the danger we run to trust ourselves. In this way, our faults keep us humble, make us seek our support in Christ, and thus they strengthen our love. It is only when his children ignore their constant lapses and make a habit of them and fail to ask his pardon that Christ grieves over them. But he is full of joy at the sight of those who love him and, after each fault, ask his pardon and cast themselves in his arms. He then recalls only their desires of perfection. She concludes this section very fittingly with the words, Ah, how little we know of the goodness and merciful love of Jesus. So in this section, the author is affirming what Therese says, that we're not supposed to, in recognizing our faults and imperfections, not take responsibility for them. We're encountering the fact that, yes, these faults and imperfections are my own. I have to take responsibility. I have to accept the humiliations or the consequences that come from my imperfections. But again, we should not be discouraged by them. And no matter how often we fall, when we're really trying to do our best, we have goodwill especially, then Jesus is not scandalized or offended by these falls. But the opposite is that when we fall and we ignore Jesus and we make a habit of this, and we make a habit of falling and we don't ask for his mercy or for his pardon, then yes, he is saddened by our weaknesses and our faults because we're not asking him for help. We're not imploring him. We're not turning to him. But Therese is saying when we turn to him over and over again, we tell him how much we love him. We tell him how hard we're trying, that we want to make him known and loved. We want to become holy as he is holy. He just gives us all the grace we need and he opens his arms and he welcomes us. And so I think really what Therese is saying is, okay, faults and imperfections, that's, that is human. That's what's going to happen. We're going to encounter those. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. But 
are we actively trying our best to really love the Lord and really seek virtue and live virtue? Or are we becoming complacent and lukewarm and seeking ourselves and not really caring to become holy, not really seeking virtue at all? So again, there's this really different way of approaching our faults and weaknesses. There's one that can lead us to pride or despair or discouragement. And then this other way that Therese is talking about should lead us to deeper surrender, deeper confidence in God, especially in his mercy and a greater humility that says, okay, these faults and weaknesses are my own. I accept them and I'm seeking to love the Lord with all that I have. And I'm trusting in his mercy every time I fall and I'm trusting in his grace to set me upright again and to keep going. So that's at the heart of Therese's spirituality. And again, there's so much more here. I'm only on page 29. I only got to the first chapter of her doctrine of the little way, but hopefully this gives you all some encouragement to look more deeply into her doctrine because again, it is so beautiful. I love it so much. It's had a really great impact on my spirituality. And even today, as I was rereading her doctrine and kind of re-going over some of these points, I am reminded and encouraged myself by it, by her. So hopefully it is a source of encouragement and inspiration for all of you. And again, I highly recommend this book. If you think that you want to be friends with St. Therese and want to learn more about her doctrine, this book is called Complete Spiritual Doctrine of St. Therese of Lisieux by Father Francois Jamart. And his last name is spelled J-A-M-A-R-T. Okay, so that's all I've got for you today on Therese. We'll close with a prayer and then we'll call it quits. All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for today, for all the ways that you have mercy upon us and pour your grace out upon us, the ways you pursue us and never give up on us and never abandon us. And we just thank you, Lord, for the gift of St. Therese and her example, for her spiritual doctrine of the little way. And we just ask that we would be able to become more childlike, that we would especially be humbled And know the truth about ourselves and the truth about you. And seek always to love you and glorify you in and through our lives. Please bless us and give us the grace we need, Lord, to be holy as you are holy. We offer this time to you, asking that your will would be done in and through our lives. And praying all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, I just have one last announcement. This will be the final revival episode that's going to air on St. Michael Catholic Radio for a little bit of time. Could be the last one forever. Not entirely sure. Could be the last one just for a little while. But I am, as some of you know, a full-time focused missionary. I'm also working on my master's degree. And this radio show was a great gift to, to try and to do. And so I expanded my podcast from you know, 25 to 35 minute episodes to fill in an hour. (laughs) And it was a lot of work and it was a great gift. I learned a lot about myself these last six months and Revival will probably continue to keep coming out, but it won't air on St. Michael Catholic Radio. I don't know, again or for a while? Don't know. Only God knows. And I'm just trying to follow what he wants me to do. So from here on out, episodes will still probably come out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. They will be significantly shorter which I'm a little excited about. (laughs) But please keep praying for me. Please pray for my role as a focused missionary and keep praying for the conversion of all of Tulsa. And especially, I just pray that we all continue to seek our own conversions, that we continue to turn to the Lord and cooperate with the graces that he pours out upon us. 
But thank you so much for listening to Revival on St. Michael Catholic Radio. It's been such a joy and a blast. Again, I learned so much about recording, editing, prepping shows, all that good stuff. And yeah, just stay tuned. We're going to see what God does with Revival. Who even knows? It's his. I'm just along for the ride. All right. You have been listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale. Have a wonderful week, everybody. 